Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome to this new FEPS Talks episode, which will be more particularly devoted to the issue of fair pay, which remains one of the most central issues deserving close attention in FEPS activities, uh, especially uh, when it comes to social justice. My name is Leticia Tissen. I work at FEPS as a policy analyst on gender equality, and I'm delighted to count on some of the best place experts in order to address this important topic within our activities uh, at FEPS. We are namely quite proud about this still oven fresh uh, policy study that is entitled Creating Momentum for Fair Pay, Assessing Policies with Leverage, uh, which is focusing on different policy instruments to ensure fair pay across Europe, uh, and which has been co-published together with Fondation Jean Jaurès and FPI, uh, which stands for Fair Pay Innovation Lab. Therefore, I could not have imagined uh, a better place guest than the one that we have uh, today, who is uh, one of the main co-authors and who is going to discuss the main contributions uh, of this very uh, uh, specific uh, policy study. So be very much welcome to this FEPS Talks episode, Katinka. Thank you so much for this warm welcome. Yeah, let me also send the greetings from our co-authors, uh, Henrike von Platen and uh, Christine Grebe. Thank you for the invitation. So Katinka, you are Senior Strategy Agent uh, for FBI, uh, and you're also a political scientist uh, as an expert on Europe. Uh, you've completed a master's degree at Helsinki School in Berlin, and since 2015, you've been researching European equality policy and equal pay. At the FBI, you analyze the causes and consequences of the gender the pay gap and you develop uh, strategies to rectify it. You gather rich amounts of facts, figures and data and you are the go-to person uh, in order to answer any question about pay equity and fair pay it seems. So that's indeed a very lucky coincidence because we have many questions on this matter for you. Sounds perfect. So um, I'm very much looking forward to your questions. So perhaps to start with the obvious uh, and uh, our listeners might also be curious uh, to become more familiar with FBI, would you perhaps tell us a bit more about the organization organization that you represent here today, its work more broadly, and what makes you uh, a major source of, of advice and information about fair pay? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, so the FAPA Innovation Lab, we are a Berlin-based organization, and we started in 2017. And what we are doing is we are answering essentially every question around fair pay, no matter from any organization, from corporates, from uh, universities, from um, ministries, whatever you can imagine. We are dealing with, with pay analysis. So what is actually on like the work on the ground? Um, we are dealing with lots of policy analysis. So what are other countries? countries doing like in Europe or the US or whatever you want to go and we, we are also fostering a lot of international cooperation so we have been very active in collaboration with for example FAPS but also other international organizations we have been very active for years uh, since our founding during the commission on the status of women that takes place in March in New York every year or the equal pay international coalition so we have been quite active in exchanging on best practices so what works, what doesn't, what works in what context and what the different actors in the labor market can do to put their own views on fair pay in place, but also to uh, to do their very best um, in ensuring fair pay. Well, thank you very much for this uh, uh, quite useful information and introduction. And this brings us now immediately to the core of today's uh, issue. In fact, uh, as you most definitely know, at the current speed and according to the World Economic Forum and its Global Gender Gap Report, it will namely take a another 
267.6 years until women and men receive equal pay. So even if governments around the world had formally committed themselves to enact legislation to ensure equal pay for equal work during the Fourth World Conference on Women in 1995, uh, which was concluded with the historic Beijing Declaration uh, and Platform for Action, no country has yet achieved gender parity in wages. And zooming into the EU case, the picture is not so bright either, despite the fact that the, the European Union has adopted legislation in this area as early as 1957 uh, with the principle of equal pay for equal work um, of equal value, uh, which is enshrined in Article 157 of uh, the Treaty of the Functioning of the European Union. So today, women in Europe are still earning 14% uh, less than men. 14.1 to be precise. And that is the very reason uh, pushing many feminist movements and organizations to raise awareness about uh, the Equal Pay Day, uh, which fell on 20th of February uh, just a few days ago, to symbolically mark the additional 51 days women have to work to be able to earn equal annual pay, uh, which is calculated on the basis of this EU average uh, gender pay gap. And evidence is already suggesting that progress in closing the gender pay gap may stall or even regress as a consequence of the COVID. 19. So to start with the elephant in the room here, let's perhaps uh, set the record straight on the facts and the figures. Could you specify what we refer to when we speak of uh, the gender pay gap and what is the current picture in Europe? Absolutely. So when we talk about the gender pay gap, we essentially have two figures. The one is the difference in hourly wages of men and women, and we calculate the percentage differences on this one. So this is the one at 14% in Europe. And we have essentially an accumulation of different causes of the gender pay gap. So we can imagine as the, the labor market a bit of like a Swiss clockwork where there are so many things coming together and affecting each other. So we have seen differences in labor market participation rates. We have a very great differences in care facilities when thinking, for example, about Sweden or Denmark um, with elaborate care facilities, um, ensuring that parents can work and share their work and care quite on an equal footing. We have, um, in addition to this, very different industries uh, with very different levels of wages. We also see that men uh, and women choose uh, professions with very different backgrounds to this, so ending also up in, in different industries. But we also see that the value of work that we can analyze and attach essentially a figure to this is quite different for industries. And this has been also uh, during the COVID pandemic where the female-dominated jobs such as in the care facilities or education, but also in the services sector has been um, discussed that they are in comparison to more industries that are such as engineering or with techniques that are, have been undeveloped because the psycho-social um, fields and tasks have been essentially completely put aside on this one. So there are essentially also stereotypes that have been quite, quite present to this and, of course, a lack of transparency. So uh, to put it in a nutshell, these are many things that have an impact on the gender pay gap, but they result in this number. And what we see in these figures is that across Europe, the numbers or the figures on the gender pay gap are quite diverse, 
but they have been stagnating for years. And we now see a bit of change and um, the impact of the COVID pandemic lies. It is there, but we cannot quantify it until now. And what is this exact effect? Because it can be either a widening the gap, but also closing the gap as there has been not so much raises and more women have been stepped out of the labor markets. So these are all uh, attached issues to this one. But yeah, we, we see a stagnating point with, with very different reasons behind the gender pay gap. And as the second figure, we see the adjusted gender pay gap, and that is essentially comparing uh, men and women also as a percentage difference, but uh, with comparable uh, points. So they have the same education, they have the same working time, they have the same professions. And we see that this gap is smaller, but is essentially still there. And for Germany, it's, uh, for example, at 6%. And if you just add up 6% on the wages of an entire lifetime, I mean, what you can all invest in this or what this ends up for a sum and these are two different different figures combined in one but essentially showing to us that this is the inequality we see in the labor market. As you very well highlight the reasons are many uh, from differences in labor market participation, different hours worked, uh, occupational segregation up to lack of, uh, of transparency uh, but nevertheless it is persisting. Uh, this being said, it should also be stressed that solutions are very much out there. Uh, and we see, for instance, uh, several uh, countries that are taking the lead in uh, seeking to actively tackle uh, these blatant forms of uh, inequalities that are unacceptable in the 21st century. Uh, so as you highlight in the policy study that, uh, that was introduced at the beginning of this uh, podcast, many states are in fact sharpening their policies, uh, implementing fair pay. And even if they are doing so in quite many uh, and diverging ways, uh, action is being taken on the ground. Uh, so what are the various policy approaches that are adopted uh, by those uh, countries uh, that wish and are willing to make fair pay uh, a reality? So the approaches are quite diverse as the countries um, themselves are. So let me give you uh, some highlights on this one. So, for example, uh, the United Kingdom has um, already since 2017 a platform where you can search for companies um, and because they have to report their gender pay gap. And you can decide for yourself whether you want to work for this company or whether you want to buy or invest or however your relation to a certain organization is. You can assess this and it's a high degree of transparency because you can immediately see how this company is performing. A different approach has taken, for example, Switzerland, because they have forced um, companies to analyze their pay system with a standardized tool so that you can make sure that on comparable positions, you are also paid at a comparable rate so that they are closing their adjusted pay gap. For Germany, they have had a very different approach because they moved the whole system at least to the individual level so that as an individual, uh, you can ask a company what is the comparative median wage of a comparative group of the different uh, sex so that that's also an approach. And uh, the last one, to give an example, is, for example, Belgium, because they have put uh, the nexus on the trade and tariff agreements and to say, well, if there is negotiation on any agreement that trade unions and employers organization have to put equal pay on the table and have to constantly assess whether their agreements are fitting to this principle. So there are very different approaches. And so far, the countries have taken their approach that's that's fitting best for them. And uh, from within 
the countries that you that you explore in this uh, policy studies, uh, to to what extent can we also claim that this form of uh, wage transparency that is being implemented uh, by an increasing number of countries? contributes not only to moving the shift away from the sole individual mm -hmm. board burden, uh, which we know places an important burden on the employee's shoulders to evidence uh, such, uh, such inequalities, but also to uncovering the broader and larger systematic nature of the problem. So let me first spoil. Um, transparency and putting a systemic focus is essentially the key to closing pay gaps. Um, and what we have seen is that only recently um, countries have been resharpening their, their pay policy. So as the UK in 2017 or Iceland, um, so we have a relatively short amount of years um, and seeing whether these policies have been effective. Um, what we can see, for example, from Iceland is that anecdotal evidence shows it's effective because it triggers more change. But what we can see, for example, from Denmark, because um, Denmark has transparency regulations for more years in place already, that it has an effect. It has an effect on decreasing the gender pay gap, but it also gets more women into the labor market and it gets more women into higher pay positions. So we have a trickle-down effect um, that not only targets the pay gap itself, but also that it has an impact on hiring, on promoting, and on the whole HR system. And this is also um, a certain effect that because there are many forms of transparency. Transparency does not only mean, oh, you publish some data, and this is there is some taboo about uh, speaking the hard figure of how much you earn, but it's also knowing the process. It's uh, knowing the, the factors behind the decision of what I myself being paid so that I know exactly what factors are in place that have an effect on my wage and that everyone has an equal footing uh, working in the same organizations. And you can also have a transparency on aggregated data, such as the pay gap, or that you can have transparency within an organization. You don't have to publish something outside, but you could as you wish to. So it's not only transparency, but it's the shade of transparency that fits best for you. So here you're clearly putting in the finger on the importance <laughs> of uh, of pay transparency, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And in that respect, uh, it also seems that the European Union uh, has understood uh, the importance and the need uh, of political action uh, when it comes to fair pay. The Parliament has been calling uh, for many years now for stronger measures on pay transparency. Eventually, we have had uh, the European Commission's uh, proposal in March 2021 for uh, a new directive uh, when it comes to ensuring uh, pay transparency. Now, uh, the new French presidency itself uh, states in its program that it will move forward uh, negotiations through trilogues on the proposed directive. So how can the EU itself, uh, but also its member state, take a, le a leadership role in that regard? And does the Commission's uh, proposal go in the right direction in what it is actually uh, proposing? So uh, let me give you a clear answer on this one. Um, absolutely, yes. So um, what we have seen is that the European Commission had a very clear assessment of what is happening in Europe, but also across the world. So, and they uh, kind of combined the best bits and pieces to this, not negatively meant as, as kind of cherry picking, but they combined um, different approaches to fair pay. 
way. So they have a structural side. They have an inclusion of the trade uh, trade unions and employer side. They have a structural issue on the corporate side um, with regular pay analysis. So they have a package that is kind of complete to this. Of course, there could be more uh, always, but um, it's a complete package to this. What the European Union can do, definitely have a very quick shot on a grim and saying yes and implementing this and showing that um, there is something moving. Um, countries like France, but also Germany, speeding up the process because they want to get an agreement. But it's the question how, how far they can get um, with this issue that has been discussed for so long. But when I have a look at the decision on the Women on Board Directive that has been there for years under discussion and blockade. So, and there is currently uh, some new uh, new swing to this whole debate. So it's um, for me, it's very promising that yeah, it has some drive for change that is taking place right now. So we will see what is taking place in the next uh, in the next weeks and months yet to come. Indeed, especially on the Women on Board Directive, once again, <laughs> stressing and uh, demonstrating the importance of political will. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is also what we see, for example, in Iceland, um, because uh, the legislation, when you have a look at the legislation itself, it has been a very distinct approach. But when you have a look at the political process within, you see that it is so important that there are people saying, yes, fair pay is an issue we want to stress, um, we want to push it through, um, because we think it's, it's important to us. And um, it has a, a tremendous effect if there is something pushing for this. So what you can do is definitely demonstrate political leadership, but also the member states itself taking this issue to them and saying, yes, we want to, to move on for this, because that's that's essentially what's driving this discussion. And um, yeah, and decision. We want to see it fast. <laughs> In fact, and perhaps also something that is quite distinctive uh, in the current debates at EU level uh, when it comes to uh, uh, pay transparency, uh, we see that although the current discussion is clearly on fair pay uh, targets for the gender pay gap, uh, which is measured as the difference between wages of women uh, and men, what you also highlight uh, in the policy study is that fair pay is much more complex than that uh, and that it needs to overcome the binary views of gender uh, by also taking other factors into account such as age, ethnicity and so on. Uh, so how can fair pay constitute an enabling factor for fair, fair working conditions for everyone uh, from an intersectional point of view as well? So that's that's a very challenging one, actually, because but on the other hand, not. So um, when, when calculating the gender pay gap, uh, we can be sure that for organizations or for countries, this is the data we have. Every every organization has the data on, on gender and can calculate its gender pay gap. If you ask corporates um, or other organizations um, whether they can calculate other pay gaps, well, it's always the question, do we have the data or do we or are we allowed to have the data? Because depending on what you're measuring, it's it might be different. But definitely Clearly, we see that there is, we are kind of at the tip, uh, tipping point that this discussion is broadening. We have seen that in the UK, um, there has been a discussion on whether to include ethnicity pay gaps or LGBTQI uh, pay gaps. We see already in the US or New Zealand, Australia, there has been also a discussion on ethnicity to this. So we see that 
things are moving. Iceland is the first country to enshrine a perspective beyond gender on pay gaps. And um, also the European Parliament has had a, a very a tough draft on the directive that the European Commission published. And um, they also included uh, fair pay beyond gender. So we see the discussion is moving. And it's, it remains the question of how much of this discussion is included in the decisions that are actually taken. But we, what we see for sure is that as the discussion is moving forward and the first data is already out there, we see, well, this whole data questions, is, it's not so difficult as we might think as it is, but um, it can be solved. And if we have it, the numbers and figures on black and white on the paper, of course, there is motivation to, to fix the system. And this is what... Is actually the most promising thing is that what we see is when, when organizations see the gender pay gap, well, they say, well, if it's high, we want to close it. Of course, we want to close it. And by reviewing the system, you not only create a gender equal system, but you create a system that is fair for all because you also start assessing different points, for example, age or promotions or have a look on, on your whole career system. And so... It's one of the points that triggers change, but it's not definitely not the last stop uh, for change, but it's more the starting point to it. Perhaps also in a future-oriented outlook, what would be here in a, in a concluding note, your main policy recommendations uh, you know, for progressive forces to, uh, to push in order to ensure fair pay for everyone and at all levels? So the first one is a focus on structures. Um, there has been a study by the OECD that has been published in 2021. And it has a very clear focus and say, well, focus on organizations and corporates because these are structures. Um, we do not want to fix individuals because, but we want to uh, fix the system that uh, employs employees and individuals. So also giving this, this nexus on this organizational level. So, and from a recommendation point, it's, Definitely get the data, get them analyzed, um, calculate pay gaps and start no matter where you are. It's the same recommendation for either states or, or corporates or organizations or in whatever structures you are working or living. But start the discussion and start where you are, because what we see is that either people fear uh, the result or say, well, we, we kind of know that there is something and there is this fear that it might get ex expensive and that it might drive people crazy. But no, start where you are, calculate the next steps and, and work from there. It shouldn't be the excuse that it's expensive. First of all, it's um, most of the time not as expensive as organizations think. And um, the second, it's it's not a best question about costs, it's a question about fairness um, for every person in the company. So there shouldn't be a discussion that people are treated unfairly. So saying all this one, start with the system, um, get the data, get it analyzed, get it analyzed not only once, but like at minimum high every year and go from there and just, yeah, go with the flow and start. Indeed. And uh, that sounds like an excellent uh, take-home uh, message uh, for, for us uh, to 
to keep uh, as we, we leave this conversation, as in fact, this already brings us to, uh, to the end uh, of this uh, Feb Stokes uh, episode, which hopefully will have shed light uh, not just on the persisting gaps, but also on the existing achievements and ongoing efforts uh, that have been made so that no woman is economically punished for being a woman. Uh, so thank you so much, Katinka, for sharing your thought-provoking and expert insights uh, and for making us familiar with the work that you conduct day after day with FPI in your fight to bring everyone on board towards equal pay. Thank you so much for inviting us. I hope this made our listeners curious for more. If that is so, you can find the policy study uh, as well as the previous policy brief that is connected to it uh, that we've been discussing on FEP's website, uh, but also on Jean Jaurès' website if you want to, uh, to look at the French version. Uh, and as a closing note, uh, let us perhaps uh, record the words of uh, UN Secretary uh, General Antonio Guterres, who himself said equal pay is essential not only for women, but to build a world of dignity and justice for all. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned. <laughs>